0: So you might be thinking, this doesn't really sound like a holiday-themed message. I was coming, ready to hear some Christmas songs and have a nice, light-hearted teaching. And uh, instead, we're going to be talking about the transfiguration, everybody. So in hopes to make this a little more fitting for the season and in in light of Thanksgiving, uh, we are thankful for the transfiguration, okay? And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to study this. So verse 1, let's look at it together. Uh, one more time, says this, and he said to them, truly, I tell you, some of you are standing here and will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come. What is Jesus saying here? Uh, Verse one, he's not saying um, that some of them are going to die. It's very simple to get confused when reading this and think that the kingdom of God or, or of God, excuse me, as heaven or as the second coming of Jesus. Now, we talked a lot about this before and in times past here, but the kingdom of God is two things. It is both now and it is not yet. Remember, the kingdom of God specifically, as we've talked about many times in the past, has always been wherever the rule and reign of God is. So when Jesus is teaching us to pray, he says in in the scriptures, "'Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth.'" as it is in heaven. The kingdom is now, but it is also not yet, as we see. We've yet to experience the kingdom in all its fullness, but we will when Jesus returns, as the scriptures point to us. Now, most scholars believe that verse one is referring to what is about to happen right before them, the transfiguration. And what is about to happen in verse two and on is an incredible, crazy thing. Has anyone read this passage before and kind of gone, uh... I don't get it. Anyone? Please be honest. I did that this week. Anyone else? Okay. You, you kind of go, uh, what am I supposed to, to do with this? Why? And what happens is incredible. And so beginning in verse two, one more time, just to get our minds wrapped around this, I really want us to, to understand what we're studying and why we're studying it. Verse two says this, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone would ever bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. I love Peter. Then a cloud appeared and covered them and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him suddenly. When they looked around, they no longer saw anyone except Jesus. Now, the first thing that comes to my mind when I read that passage is, why? I mean, what's the purpose of Jesus going up on this mountain? Scholars believe that this mountain was potentially Mount Hermon, which was about 9,100 feet. It It was a bigger mountain, and they climbed to the top of it. What's the point? Why did Jesus decide to do this? And what I have found and what others have found is the purpose of the transfiguration of Christ into his glory before these men is to show that the inner circle of his disciples could understand who he was better. Up until this point, if you remember, the disciples hadn't actually seen Jesus in a glorified state. The disciples had only known him in his human body and his human life And now they had a greater realization of the deity of Christ, like, you're not just Jesus, you are God and Jesus. And they couldn't fully comprehend it, but at the same time, this gave them reassurance that they needed after hearing this shocking news of the fact that he was about to die. Now, one of the things that we need to understand about the transfiguration is that Jesus Jesus literally showed his godness. And, And what I mean by that is, he literally transformed into a glorified state, which we'll talk about in a minute. And that is that he was both God and man, and he was showing his disciples this. Now, the word transfiguration is important to understand. It is the word in Greek, metamorpho. Can anyone say metamorpho? Metamorpho. You guys are great. It is where we get the word, obviously. Anyone want to guess? Metamorpho. You guys are good job good job. It is the same as life. And the idea is, metamorphosis, it's the same life, but it's the change of form. And Mark says right here that his clothes became whiter than anyone could bleach them. And in Matthew, if you look back there, it adds his face shine like the sun. So we're not just talking about a a really nice white piece of clothing. We're talking about incredibly bright, blinding incredibly intense transfiguration. And I love this because you see this not only in Jesus in this moment, but we can also see this in others around us. One of the things I love um, about, about serving God's people is I get to spend time with God's people. And I love when people are really in love with Jesus. I really do. Like many of you, and and the way I can usually always tell if people are walking with Jesus or not, and it, you might say you're crazy, and I will absolutely embrace that and agree with you, but it's when I look into someone's eyes. I mean, have you noticed this? Someone that is really genuinely walking with Jesus, there's something different about their countenance. There's something different about their whole demeanor. There's something inside, deep down, and you can see it. Sometimes you don't always even see it as much as you sense it. And you can see that people Are walking with with Jesus. And there's something that has been inside their life that has literally transformed them. The same is true when you see that same person maybe years later and they stop walking with Jesus. I had a friend recently who decided, hey, it was time to be done with his marriage. It was time to divorce his wife, leave his kids, and just go on and do his own thing and date whoever he wanted and live a crazy life. And I, I saw him a couple months ago. And my wife and I saw him, and and I got in the car, and I was like, am I crazy, or did he look like a different person to you? Like, did he look sad and almost dead? And she was like, I was thinking the same thing. I don't even know what was going on. I believe that when Jesus is in your life, and you are following him, and you're living with the Spirit, that radiates from you. Now, we need to understand that Jesus was being transformed into a, a glorified state, that's not what's happening in us. It's, it's his Holy Spirit within us. We're not being glorified beings, but we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now, Romans, real quick. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I love this. Now, Jesus didn't need to be transformed in this way, but, but we do, and we all have the ability to help in the process. Romans 12, 2 says this. I love this. Uh, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Well, how do we transform our minds? How does this actually happen? It's by the scriptures, it's by God's word, spending time with Him, asking Him to be filled with your spirit. Now, Jesus transfigured in front of his disciples to show his godness, to show, hey, I'm not just this guy that's saying I'm God. I really am God and man, and I'm proving it to these three guys right now. He was doing that for his disciples. But the same is true with, with you and I, that we need to be transformed, and our minds need to be transformed. And that happens not just by a magical touch from Jesus, but it does happen by being filled with the Holy Spirit and uh, being filled With the Spirit and reading the Scriptures. I remember uh, when I was a young man, when I was, I think I was about 16 or 17, um, I knew who Jesus was, but I didn't really care much because I was completely selfish and self-absorbed. Anyone ever been there before? Yeah? Okay. Um, Had a lot of plans. I was very concerned for my own life, and I tried to read the Bible daily because I knew it was like, it's a good thing to do. We should do that, right? And I knew it was important, but I just lacked motivation. There was like something that I could never get in a routine. I, I could never really dive into this whole idea of studying the scriptures daily and just crave the word. I, my friends would, would tell me this, and I would say, I don't get it. I don't, I don't crave this at all. And so, by God's grace, he decided to uh, motivate me. And when I started dating my wife, she had this genius idea. She said to me, why don't we start reading our Bibles every day, and then we'll keep each other accountable. Ding, ding, ding motivation. Pretty Like the pretty girl motivated me to read my Bible. And I am so thankful for that because we started reading the scriptures every day. And it's funny, when you read the Bible, um, it's, it's kind of interesting because the more you read it, the more you want to, the less you do, the less you want to. It's, it's like that with so many things in life. And so we started reading the scriptures every day. And I have to tell you, since I've started reading the scriptures on a regular basis about 11 years ago, God has really transformed my mind. Like, I don't think the same way I used to. I don't, I don't act a lot of the same ways I used to. I don't speak the same ways I used to. And Jesus has been doing, just like he's transfigured on that mountain, he's been transforming my mind and my heart to want to follow him more. And some of you are in a rut right now. You're saying, I've, I've been trying to walk with Jesus forever, and I just feel like I'm dragging my feet. May I encourage you, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let Jesus' spirit, his word, wash over you. If your mind feels cloudy and lethargic and perverted and off track, God's word and spirit can and will transform you. I encourage you, make that a, a daily practice. It will bless you. It will literally transform you. It will fill you with life. But back to the text. As we see Jesus was transfigured before these two men, his clothes were completely white. Matthew says his face shined like the sun. But there's a couple more things between verse two and eight that I I just want to talk about real quick. Two guys pop up, Moses and Elijah. Now, why these two men? Why of all the people in all of the Bible did two other men, Moses and Elijah, pop up? Well, good news, it wasn't a coincidence. Now, Moses, if you remember back in the Old Testament, hang on with me for a second, Moses represented the law, the Ten Commandments. He represented in the Old Testament the law, and Elijah represented all of the prophets. And how this all ties together is, if you remember in Matthew 5, I'm going to point it out real quick, Jesus' ministry, his whole reason, his purpose, they were all in complete agreement with the law, and the Old Testament prophecy. He said in Matthew 5, 17, you can write it down for later, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. He said, I didn't come to push these things away. I have come, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so this is a part of Jesus fulfilling his prophecy. Now Luke's account says that Moses and Elijah specifically appeared in glorious splendor. And though they've been gone for centuries, they were very much alive in glorious bodies talking with Jesus. It's crazy. And if you ask, how does that work? I don't know. I really don't. But I do know that it happened, and these men were here, and they were representing and helping fulfill prophecy. Now, what goes through my mind is, what were these guys talking about? I mean, why did Elijah and Moses need to show up, and why did they need to begin to talk to Jesus? The good thing is, Luke tells us what they were talking about. Luke chapter 9 says they were speaking about Jesus' departure, specifically his death on the cross. So these men show up, and they start speaking to Jesus about his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. The cross would be brutal. It would be painful. Jesus would suffer. He would die. And I think God, being the God of all comfort and encouragement, sent Moses, and he sent Elijah. To spur Jesus on, to encourage him, to say, listen, this is going to be hard, but you know it's the Father's will. We want to help you. We want to encourage you. Now, let's take Moses and Elijah. Let's put them to the side. In verse 5, we have a character that just pops up out of nowhere. Uh, Peter. Peter, verse 5, says this. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Just, Just recognize this for a second. Peter is standing in front of God. And he is telling, he's telling God, he's telling Jesus, just so you know, it's good that we're here. <laughs> I mean, can you, can you imagine just how silly he must have sounded? Uh, just so you know, it's good that we're here. So while he's still speaking, he decides, let's just fit in one more sentence. Um, let us put up a shelter, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. You got to love Peter. You got to love him. Someone recently told me, um, you remind me in, of Peter in the Bible. And, and I didn't know whether I should have uh, been encouraged or sh- I should have punched the guy. I was really, I, I, afterwards I was like, are we, are we friends? Are we okay? Like, was that like one of those complice salts? I don't get it, man. Like, you, you remind me of Peter, you weirdo. I, I don't know. But he, uh, he said that. But you got to love Peter because he just, he just says what he thinks. Now, I have heard it said, the best way to save face is to close the lower half. And I cannot agree with that more. um, Because in all honesty, I mean, to be real, uh, I can completely relate with Peter. I can often be so distracted by shiny, pretty things that I say some of the dumbest stuff. Ask my wife. Ask Jose. I mean, I'm a verbal processor, so I don't usually even know how I feel until I'm talking about it. Like, there might be some ways that I even feel right now, and I'm just coming aware of it with you, in front of all of you right now. And I understand Peter because often I'll see this great thing, and I'll just start saying stuff, and I'm like, oh, I should not say that. My wife always grabs my arm so gently, like, please stop talking. You're embarrassing me, my whole family, our whole family, our children. Okay, honey. Um, But I can understand him, and he, and he, he wants to build them a shelter. He's kind of like an obedient child who just wants to do something because what he sees is so incredible. And the reason I love him is because his heart is right. He's proactive. He's not sitting there going, oh, man, um, let's just watch. He's saying, what can we do? I want to help. I want to I do something. Now, it was completely inappropriate that he went down that road. And, and Jesus is so gracious. He just completely ignores him. He completely doesn't even. Your kids come up to you, hey, dad, can I watch a movie again? And you just pretend that that question never even came up. Like, we're not going to talk about that. Jesus did that. And because something better, something far greater was about to happen. Now, verse 7 says, Then a cloud appeared, covered them, and a voice from the cloud came and said this, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Could you imagine this? I mean, put yourself in these these men's shoes. They're standing there. They've gone on a long hike with Jesus. All of a sudden, your best friend's becoming like a superhero. All of a sudden, it's like finding out your best friend is Superman you've become so much cooler because who you know is a legit person and he's doing great stuff. They, they see their friend become God. These two other men come up. This giant cloud come over them and this booming voice say, hey, just so you know, this is my son. He's legit. Elijah's cool. Moses is good. But you need to listen to him. He is above all these other things. And I, I want us to see this for a minute because it is important because the whole point of this transfiguration story is This is where God affirms that Jesus, Jesus, his son, is the savior of the world. This is the point in scripture where God says, listen, Jesus is who he says he is. He is legit. He is going to die for you. He is going to save this world. And Jesus was far superior to Moses and Elijah, and God shows up and confirms that. He doesn't come to abolish the law or the prophets, Elijah and Moses. He comes rather to fulfill them. And on that note, it is fine in our life to honor godly men and women. You know, you look to Elijah and Moses and they did some incredible stuff. Like Elijah didn't even die. We don't we don't know where he is. I heard someone recently say, "I believe Elijah is alive somewhere in Israel and he's probably doing some of those tours." <laughs> and I thought he was kidding. Come to find out after I had a few Peter moments and put my foot directly in my mouth, he wasn't kidding. And it became very embarrassing. We backpedaled for a while. Anyway, some people believe he's alive somewhere in the world. I, I don't know where he is, and I, I do not think, just for, just for public knowledge, I don't think he lives in Israel right now and is uh, currently running tours for Israel. But here's what I do know. I do know that Jesus is superior. And it's, it is a wonderful thing to respect and honor godly men and women. But just remember do not honor them or respect them above Jesus's word. Don't put them in the place of God. God's place in your life needs to be superior. And what God is helping us understand, he's saying it very clearly and very gently, is Jesus is Lord. And your friends, they are great. Going to people for wisdom is encouraged. The scriptures, Proverbs is full of that. Don't just sit by yourself, think of stuff, and then go do it. No, Practice wisdom. Talk to people. But don't replace those people with Jesus. Jesus is Lord. God's confirming that. Back to the story. Verse 9. So this happens. A cloud comes over. Jesus says, this is my son. Respect him. Follow him. This is Lord. In verse 9, he says, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come. And they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him." Jesus and his disciples are on a very long hike down the mountain, and I can just picture Jesus with his disciples, hiking down the mountain, and these guys are asking him all these questions, and Jesus says, hey, just so you know, like, don't tell anyone what just happened. And you could imagine Peter, James, and John like, are you kidding me? We just saw the most incredible thing in the world and you're saying we can't like tweet about it and we can't do all the wonderful, we can't tell all of our friends, we can't go out and let the world know that we did something amazing and we saw something amazing. He said, no, I, I don't want you to tell anyone. And Jesus just patiently answers their questions. I love Jesus' character in this. He just is walking down the mountain and just saying, guys, you can't tell anybody. He's patient with their crazy questions with Peter just spurting off silly things and then in verse 11 they ask why do the teachers of the law say that elijah comes first and I love the disciples here they don't understand they don't get it and so they're saying please Jesus help us get this help us understand and so Jesus replies to him in verse 12 and 13 now verses 12 and 13 are are easily uh, confused and and I know these verses may sound a bit confusing, and they might be a little thick to wrap our our minds around. So I'll do my best to help us understand what Jesus is saying here. And the best way to do that is to understand where this all started. We need to understand that there was a prophecy that took place in Malachi chapter 4. So turn to Malachi real quick. It's in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 5. Stay with me for one second. Jesus is trying to explain to to the disciples here there was a prophecy that happened in Malachi and that's why they're asking these questions. And so he gives them an answer in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. If you don't have it, I believe it's on the screen. It says this, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction so Jesus stands with Malachi's prophecy and says yes Elijah he does come first the prophecy is correct in Malachi chapter 4 but they just saw Elijah is this kind of confusing like Why all this talk about death? We just saw Elijah. He was in a glorified state with you. We saw him. And Jesus sets them straight. He says, the Elijah that Malachi spoke of already came, and his name was John, and he was killed. He's referring to John the Baptist. And he's referring to John the Baptist being killed. And just as Elijah's coming was a sign of the Messiah's coming, Jesus' coming, so also Elijah's death was a sign of the Messiah's death. In Luke chapter 1, it says this, He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and you see the Malachi prophecy right there, the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Jesus is saying, John prepared the way for me. You remember, John was out in the wilderness baptizing people, making a way for Jesus. People came up to him and said, hey, are you Elijah? He's like, no, I'm I'm not. Like, I'm just preparing a way for the Lord. He went before him, made and prepared the way. He came in the spirit, John did. He came in the spirit and the power of Elijah, and they killed him. And in the same way, Jesus says, I'm going to suffer and be killed. And he explains this to them, and he says, but don't worry. In three days, I'm going to rise again. And that had to have thrown him off a whole other rabbit trail with a lot of different questions, like, what? You're going to die? You're going to come back to life? But as we read this story of the transfiguration, it's easy to just kind of brush over it and to say, well, okay, Jesus is Lord. God affirmed that Jesus is who he said he is. He's not crazy. Um, Elijah came first. He, He was a an idea, a picture of, of a prophecy that was happening. It's, it's easy to just kind of look at this and say, that's nice, and I like that the scripture says that. But what I like to do in these situations is I, try, I like to try to put myself in the disciples' shoes. I like to try to imagine myself in these situations because you and I both know that you th- there's one way you think you respond, and then there's another way that you actually respond you ever experienced this? Like, you think you'll be really calm when your child gets hurt, and then your child, like, chops a little part of their finger off, and you're like, you pass out on the floor. I'm not saying that that happened to me, but it might have, so let's just keep that between all of us. Um, They didn't cut their finger off, but they hit their head. It was bloody. It was was bad. Anyway, you think you're going to respond one way, but you don't, and and so what I want to do here is think of a few ways that we can respond to this. Think of a few ways that we can look at this, and as I think of myself standing before God, if I was to see this, the one thing that comes to my mind is I, I really thought it would bring me to the reality that I would need to glorify God, that I'd really need to just say, God, you're God. Now, you might be thinking, uh, Brooke, I've heard this word glorify my whole life, and it's dead, and it's redundant to me, and I don't really understand it. Well, hang in with me for a minute. Let's give this word glorify some new life, Okay. Um, To glorify God, if if that's what you were to do, it literally means to honor with praise, admiration, or worship. It means to give God credit for who he is and for what he's done. So in this moment, it'd be great to go, God, you said you were Jesus, and, and you are, and I praise you for that, and that is incredible. Thank you for dying for me. But it's to agree with the reality that God is God, and you are not. That's what it means to glorify God. Now, if you're anything like me, you're thinking, well, what's The point, why do we need to glorify God? Why is it important that we glorify God? Even in these moments, why do we do that? Um, Psalm 103 says this, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Two reasons we need to glorify God. Why do we need to? First reason, he created us. The reason you have life, you have hope, you have breath, is because he created you, literally. He's given you everything you are, your life, your being. And the second thing is, he has made everything in life to glorify him. If you read throughout the scriptures, you'll see that the animals praise him, that creation praises him, that the stars praise him. Who are we to think that we are not supposed to praise and bring glory to God? That is our job. And so, as I put myself in that mindset of glorifying God... I want to give us a couple ways of how to actually do that. What are a couple ways as you go to work tomorrow or you're online all day for Cyber Monday? I don't think you can get shot or stabbed on Cyber Monday, so you should be okay. So please feel free to enter into that if you want to jump in on Cyber Monday. But whatever you're doing this week, whether you're shopping or you're spending time with family that's still in town or you're back to work, a couple things, couple ways we can glorify God this week. First way, um... First way you can glorify God is by, is by doing his will at any cost. You see, the disciples were on this mountain and they saw Jesus transfigured. But that had a lot of ramifications for it. As you can see later on, like they were called to a life of serving Jesus, but they were also called to a life of travel and preaching, and a lot of them to a very early death. They were called to sacrifice to do whatever his will was, whatever the cost. And it's easy in these moments to think, but God, I have dreams. I've got so many dreams. I I don't want to give up my will. I think my will is pretty great. And my friends, when we stop obeying God and what he's asked us to do, and we are not willing to surrender and do his will, we stop God from being active in our life. If you're sitting there and you're wondering, why haven't I seen God work in my life for months? I mean, I read the word, I pray, but but maybe God's been asking you to do something for months, and he says, listen, we can't really continue to communicate until you obey me on what I've already asked you to do. And he says, I asked the disciples to give me their lives, and they did. They did my will at any cost, no matter what it was. Um, Now, I have something personal real quick I want to share, but you have to promise not to tell anyone. Can you do that? (laughs) People are like, is he serious? Yeah, don't tell anyone. Uh, We have a podcast, but it will be okay. Some people will know. Um, To be completely honest, I never desired to be a leader, a pastor, um, never desired to teach the scriptures ever. The fact is, it's, it's quite hard, and people just stare at you for a long period of time, and feels kind of awkward and uncomfortable, and you're staring even now, and it's even more uncomfortable. <laughs> My hands are getting sweaty. Um, the reality is, I feel most comfortable when there is a barrier. Like, if I'm behind drums, I feel fine. I don't care how many people there are. It's like a safety net. I, I just need a barrier between me and people, right? I love people, but it's it's nothing I was aspiring to do. It wasn't like, Jesus, if there was one thing I could do. No, I had a whole set of plans, and and I thought they were good plans, and I thought they were legit, but then Then in a moment of weakness, I said something in my prayers. It was during the same time that I started reading the scriptures daily uh, with my wife. And it was when she was my girlfriend. I remember reading this. And one day I was like, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. Awesome, right? Not at first. Um, I, I said, I'll stop pursuing my dreams and I'll do whatever you ask me. Make your desires my desires. And there was about a good six months to a year where stuff just started going downhill fast. It felt like my whole life was falling apart and I prayed this prayer and then all of a sudden all the things that I really loved and really valued and really was excited about, God was like, nope, that's not right, that's not my will, nope, not that one. And I promise you, you pray this prayer, watch out, God loves to answer this one. And he loves to answer it quickly, I found. And I remember thinking, my life is falling apart. But literally, I had to give up all my pursuits. I had to give up all of my selfish ambitions. And I needed to honor God, and I needed to just say, hey, I, I want to do this. And God slowly, and I mean really slowly, uh, started making his desires my desires. And there was things that I never desired before that I started desiring. And I've been in the process for the last... <laughs> decade or so of learning to be content with whatever Jesus asked me to do. Now, I need to be so clear. I do not have this figured out. Like, I am not content most of the time, and I don't have this, this portion of life figured out. And sometimes it's really fun to serve Jesus in this way, and sometimes it is really hard. I, it is hard to just be willing to say yes to Jesus at whatever he asked you to do. Um, but I'm attempting to do that, and I don't get it right. You can ask my wife. I do not get this right. I mess up, but I can lay my head on my pillow at night knowing that I am learning and willing to say yes to whatever Jesus asked me to do. And sometimes I say no and, and I miss out for it. But the moments I say yes, it's almost like God just says, I told you so. And if you're here tonight and you're holding on to your dreams, be willing to do whatever Jesus asked you to do. It glorifies him, it brings him honor. If you wanna glorify God, do that. Second thing, uh, second way we can glorify God this week, second way we can bring him glory, give him honor, credit, is to be content to go unrecognized. Now, you might be thinking, where does this stem from? Um, As I was reading, uh, I came across Paul, and Paul in the scriptures is a great example of this. Um, His great goal was to exalt God through Jesus Christ, and he did this actively until the time he was put in prison, if you remember this, And Paul was used by the Lord while in prison to write several books in the New Testament, which you also know. And while he was in prison, he wrote these couple of books in the New Testament. And while Paul was in prison and being held, so many outside were seeking to not only hurt him, and he described those people as people proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition, the word says. And you can read this in Philippians. And they were proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition, rather for them to get the glory, not just Christ, um, rather than pure motives. And they had been preaching Jesus for their own credit. And this was painful for Paul, because while he's confined in prison and rotting in prison, others are free preaching Jesus, making converts to Jesus, but they're also able to be free to teach and win others to Christ and win their affection, and, and they're free to do that. But Paul's sitting there saying, oh, This was my work. This is what I've been doing. This is what I've wanted to see for so long, and I'm sitting in a prison not able to do this. And how did Paul respond to people treating him that way? Philippians 1.18 says this. He says, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Paul didn't care who got the credit as long as God was glorified. Now, the question is tonight, and I've been asking myself this all week, how about you? What are the inner feelings when someone gets the credit at your expense? You do all the hard work. You put the best foot forward. You figure it out. You have the genius idea. Someone takes the the credit. One mark of spiritual maturity is being willing to let others have the credit. It, It is letting others have the credit. How you respond when these situations happen reveal whether you are concerned about his glory, God's glory, or your own. And this week, I challenge you, let others go before you. Serve others. As long as God gets the glory, do that. The third way you can glorify God this week, in light of the transfiguration, in light of him coming into your life, revealing who he is, the third third way is to confess your sins. Now, I know this might seem interesting and perhaps you didn't think of it, but when you confess your sins, you glorify God. Because you stop saying it's Not my fault, God. You take ownership. When you confess your sins, you're saying, God, I am a sinner. I do need saving, and I need help, and this is so elementary, I know, but if you want a quick and easy way to glorify God, which most of our society is into quick and easy and free, by the way, confess your sin. Say, Jesus, I messed up. I didn't I didn't mean to do this, or I did this, and I meant to do it. Will you please forgive me? And Jesus says, yes. You're agreeing with the reality that I'm God, and you're not, and I come into your life, and I want to forgive you. And you don't have to beg God. He forgives you. He says, listen, you confess, I forgive you. You glorify me. I can help you. But when we do not confess sin, we do the opposite. We don't glorify God. We skirt around the issue. We act like it's God's problem, like God did this to us, and not taking responsibility. It is our job, my friends, to take responsibility and to confess sin. John, 1 John 1, 9 says this, and I love this verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, so many times I was gonna take that verse out, but I really believe that that verse is for someone tonight. As I was praying this week, this verse would not leave me. And so I pray, if you're here tonight and that's for you, will you please take this verse to heart and memorize it, read it every day, and remember that he is faithful to forgive you. Even if you don't forgive yourself, Jesus forgives you. He will help you forgive yourself. But just know that he, does, he has that for you. To confess means to agree with God. It means to say, hey, I agree, I messed up, I need your help, please forgive me. And the last way that we glorify God in light of this teaching, the last way is to trust Christ, is to receive Jesus as Lord of your life. The way that you glorify God is by trusting him. That brings him the most glory. You're saying, hey, when you transfigured in Mark chapter 9 and God came down in this cloud and said to these men, hey, this is Jesus. He's my son. I'm going to do this. I'm sending him to die for you. You are confirming and saying yes to what God has been doing. You're agreeing with him. You're glorifying him. And so if you are here this week and you don't know Jesus, or you know Jesus and you're like, man, I just I have been lame. I haven't been walking with him. I've been taking my own steps. I want to encourage you tonight to get with a friend, get with a person next to you, and I want you to receive Jesus. Afterwards, there'll be people to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you. If that is the first step, then take it tonight. And begin the process of glorifying God because he wants to help you. This week, I really pray that Jesus reveals himself to you like he did to the disciples. I pray that he makes it really obvious that he's in your life. I pray this week that he makes it really obvious to you that he cares for you. Some of you are completely and utterly depressed after this, uh, these last couple days. Thanksgiving sometimes brings on the best of feelings and sometimes the worst. Some of you are utterly depressed. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He wants to reveal himself to you. He did to his disciples. He wants to to us. And we're going to pray that for this week. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, I just want to ask those very specific things for my, my friends tonight. I want to ask very specifically that you would reveal yourself to us this week in a way that would be obvious. I want to ask that you'd reveal yourself to us in a way this week that would be so obvious that it is you working in our life. For those who are here tonight that are feeling discouraged and depressed even and and self-focused and worried and not trusting, all these things, Lord, I pray for comfort for my friends. I pray that you would wash over them. You give them hope. I pray that even as they hear this prayer that their life would literally um, begin even in their mind and heart making a a 180-degree spin that literally what was so depressing would be flipped over to hope. We just pray for hope. We know that we can have hope when we stick to you and when we look to you. And so, Jesus, I pray for my friends tonight. If anyone is here and they don't know you, I pray that you would give boldness to them to take that step to love Jesus, to walk with you, and to say yes. But at the same time, I pray for those who are here tonight who are just needing to glorify you and make it obvious that you you need to be glorified. I pray you'd help us glorify you this week. I pray you'd help us just be wise and be intelligent. And Jesus, as we worship, I pray that we would be able to even now glorify you through worshiping, through singing, through as we go through and give again. Lord, we just ask that you would be blessed during this time. In your name, everyone said, amen.